Christian program. Today I want to give you a three-step program, okay? It's very simple, and it's very easy to understand what I'm going to share with you. It's incredibly easy to understand. It's a little bit harder to do. It's not quite as easy to do, but I, I want to share it with you because God shares it with us this morning. I told my dad, I said, Dad, I'm going to talk to our church on Sunday about three steps to a phenomenal family. I said, I've got three points in my message, he said, what are they? Not have one, not have one, not have one. I was like, no, Dad, those aren't my points. Three steps to having a family. If you have a family here today, if, if you're part of a family, a husband or wife or father or mother or child, grandchild, nephew, niece, if you're part of a family, then you know what I'm going to talk about. I think you'll be able to relate to this. In Colossians chapter 3, that's our text this morning, Colossians chapter 3, we find God defining for us what a Christian home should look like. Um, a lot of you will recognize that this is not the home you grew up in. Uh, <clears throat> but it's the home that we can produce today. This is what Colossians 3, 18 through 21 says. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Some of you are really wishing you'd gone to see great aunt so-and-so right now. But you're here today, and I thank you for being here. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Um, the people at the church that Paul was writing to were a lot like us. They lived in a society that had a lot of different definitions of what a family should look like. I mean, ever since the 1950s, what a family looks like in America has been blown up, right? I mean, anybody looking today at our society and our culture can just look around and, and for a lot of people, family is, well, it's, it, it's who their people are, you know? It's their tribe, not necessarily their, their blood relation. And, and so Paul says there's a lot of ideas out there about family and what it should look like. And God has some ideas about what a family should be like. And, and God invented the family, so God has a purpose. He knows how it should function. Um, a lot of families are what we call dysfunctional. Dysfunctional. And um, I, I just want to encourage you. I'm just going to share. It's real simple. Uh, there, there are four verses. And in the, these four verses, I find three steps that I just want to encourage us to take this morning. Three steps in your family. And so to all of the wives today and all of the husbands today and all of the children and all of the fathers, I want to speak to you on three steps to a phenomenal family. The first thing I want to say to you is this. Step into your role. This is part of what Paul is saying to the first century Christians. Now here we are in our century almost, or 2,000 some years later, still following Christ, 
still looking to Jesus for how we should live our lives. And we look to the scriptures, God's holy word, and we find that Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote that we should step into our role. Now, this is, this is what I mean. I want you to notice. Let's read it again. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Wives, you have a role to play in your family. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Husbands, you have a role to play in your family. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Children, you have a role to play in your family. It's very specific, and it's really clear. Husbands, wives, children, and then fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Fathers, you have a role to play in your family. Now, moms, I'm not going to talk to you today as much because today's not Mother's Day. And moms just know what to do. Right? Can I hear an amen? Moms know what? Yeah, I hear a lot, a lot of female voices. Amen, Pastor Brad. Yeah, not so many of the guys' voices. I don't know about that. But since we're in this passage this morning, we'll just narrow our focus to these four verses and what God is saying to us. I think the first thing he's saying is step into your role. You have a role to play. The feminine role belongs to the wives. There's a feminine role. The masculine role belongs to the husbands. The obedience role belongs to the children, and the fathering role belongs to the fathers. Everyone has a role. Everyone belongs in a family. Each person belongs. There's a place for you in that family. The result is order. Now, the question that Paul's answering is, where do I belong in my family? Where do I belong? Well, that depends. Are you the husband or are you the wife? Are you the child or are you the father? You have a role to play. God has established preordained roles for us. Nicole and I were watching Dancing with the Stars one time. And I'll never forget this experience. She, she was, I were just sitting there watching them, and she asks me, she goes, hey, who's that guy, Chaz Bono? I said, that's Cher's daughter who had gender reorientation surgery to become a man. And she was like shocked. She couldn't believe it. He looked like a dude. Right? Chaz Bono, you know who I'm talking about? Chaz Bono, Cher's daughter, born a female, got a, a, an operation because she wanted to be a man. <clears throat> she was shocked, Nicole was. And I, and I know some people in our world, they want you and I to stop recognizing gender altogether. Do you know this? In our society, they do not want a gender-filled world. They want a genderless world. And so they use and throw around terms like toxic masculinity, feminism, uh, permissive parenting. And so they, they use these phrases. We throw this stuff around. And that's because they're trying to define a certain vision of who we should be. You remember the phrase, 
God is colorblind? You remember that phrase? What people meant was that we humans should stop seeing color and judging each other on the color of our skin. Well, I disagree. I think God made all the colors, and I think he does see color, and I think he likes his colors. Red, yellow, black, and white, we are all precious in his sight. God is not colorblind. God made the colors. God made the pigment of your skin. God made you who you are. And so I want to encourage you. In a similar way, there are some people in our world that want us to be gender blind. They want us to be gender blind. And I want you to know that God is not gender blind. God happens to like the fact that he created two distinct genders. Genesis 127 reminds us, so God created man in his own image. You did not create yourself. You were born and God made you. You find yourself here on earth with consciousness and being and a life that you have to live in front of you. You don't put the air in your lungs, it's there. God created you as a system. You have a respiratory system and it just functions whether you're awake or asleep. Whether you want it to or whether you don't want it to. You're gonna be breathing, your heart's gonna beat because God made you for life. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, it, it, it's important that you understand, it takes both the male and the female role to fully embrace and express the character of God. It takes both. I want to say something to the men for a moment. And, and if, I, if I could just say this, if, if you've been created a man by God and you're married, I want you to know that God has given you special ability to what we call, what shall we call it? Be the man. Be the man in your home. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? You hear my tone of voice, right? And some of you have different reactions to my tone of voice because you come from a home where being the man meant control or domineering or looking down on the feminine role. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. Ladies, if God created you a female and you are married, there's nobody else who can be a better feminine model for your family than you. God created you a woman. Step into your role. And um, by the way, step into your God-given role according to your God-given nature. <clears throat> and I, I just want to say this. If you know someone or if you yourself struggle with feelings of what we call gender dysphoria, it's, it's, a, it's a confusion that happens around who you are. Some women find feelings inside themselves wishing they were in a male body, wishing they were a man. And some men find themselves wishing they could be a woman. And I just want to encourage you, this, I, this issue of identity is at the core of who you are as a human being. This is very important. And if you have those feelings, God does not reject you. 
And you are not an abomination to God. You are loved by God. He made you in his image. But we live in a fallen world where everything is broken. Everything is broken. My microwave won't even work right for very long. Everything breaks down eventually. And so our world is broken. Our desires are broken. Our wants are broken. And we all come to God, and just as the song says, your grace has found me, not as I wish I were or wish I was, but as I am. And that's a mixed bag sometimes. Sometimes it's not so black and white, and sometimes it looks messy. But I want to encourage you, men and women, to be who God made you to be. You've got to think about the truth. You've got to renew your mind. And you've got to not be intimidated by the chatter of our culture. When you go to work, it's okay to be a man. <laughs> it's okay. Being a man doesn't mean that you're going to hurt somebody. Being a man's a great thing. I sure hope that you're teaching your boys it's sure good to be a boy. And if you're a woman, it's wonderful to be a woman at work. It's wonderful. Being a woman doesn't mean you're weaker, less intelligent, or something like that. No. We're equal in God's eyes. And I sure hope you're teaching your daughters it's great to be a girl. It's great to be who we are. You have to step into your role, and you have to find out what that means through Scripture. And God, God tells us what that means. Second step is to step up to your responsibilities, because when you have a role, you have responsibilities that come with that role, right? There are certain ways that you should function and not function in a marriage, in a family. The wise responsibility, he tells us in verse 18, is to submit. That's one of the main responsibilities, and it's how the, the, the Christian home functions. If a wife will submit to her own husband. Now, a lot has been made about this word submit since it was uttered and written 2,000 years ago. What does that mean? What in the world? That word in the original language means to arrange oneself under, to subject one, oneself to another's leadership. Now, wives, I have some good news for you and some bad news for you this morning. Which do you want first? All right, here's the bad news. The sentence I just read, wives, submit to your own husbands, is a direct command from God to you. And you may not disobey it without bringing injury to yourself and your family and bring dishonor on God. That's the bad news. Now, the good news is God is not saying that husbands are allowed to control wives whenever they want. That's not what God is saying. That's the good news. Because notice what God says to the husbands. Husbands, love your wives. It doesn't say husbands control your wives. It, it says husbands love your wives. This is also a command, guys, in the strongest sense of the word from God. 
to us as, as men. The husband's responsibility is to sacrifice. Verse 19, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands. That's the wise responsibility in this passage he's talking about, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. What he's saying is, you need to love your wives as God loves them. How does God love your wife, man? He sacrificially loves them. So the wife submits and the husband sacrifices. That's what it means to love, is you, you become unselfish. Now, why in the world did Paul write this? He, the very specific need he gave to each gender... Because each gender has weaknesses, and it's hard for us to do what he just asked us to do. To the ladies, I, this is my personal opinion. I'm not, I'm not going to say this is what the Scripture is saying, okay? So this is Brad's opinion. I think the hardest thing for a female to do, one of the hardest things for a female to do, and I can speak from experience from all my years being a female. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, right? Because some of you are like, well, how do you know what, what it's? Uh, it's just my opinion, okay? I'm just telling you what I observe. Uh, that the hardest thing for a female to do, for a woman to do, is to put her life, her heart, her emotions, her children, her future, into the hands of a man and let him go. <laughs> And just rest in that. <laughs> I think that's the hardest thing almost in, in the family structure for a woman to do. And God knew that we wouldn't do it unless he made us. <laughs> now, why is it hard for a woman to do this? Well, it goes back to the beginning when Adam and Eve fell. And Eve was deceived, and Adam was deceived. And God said, because of this, uh, he made man's labor difficult. He said, the, the ground's not going to produce like it would have for you, and you're going to have to work harder than you've ever worked before in the sweat of your brow, toiling to even get it to produce. And women, wives, you're going to want to control your husband, but you're not going to be able to. That's bottom line, I think, what that passage is saying. You're going to want to control your husband, but you can't. He's eventually or inevitably in some way going to not be controlled. Um, now, guys, I think that the reason Paul said what he did to, to us as husbands is because I think the hardest thing for a man to do in a family situation and in a relationship, in marriage, in parenting, I think, this is just me, this is my opinion, the hardest thing for a guy to do is to sacrifice. You know what? I've been married now, how long have we been married, Nicole? <laughs> Since 2002. <laughs> 2002. And sacrificing comes naturally to my wife. She just does what needs to be done. Why? 
because the family needs it done. Now, sacrificing, giving up what you want for the greater good, in a marriage situation, that's difficult for men to do. And God knew that we would have a hard time doing it and we would need his help and that he would have to force us to do it. Now, God has given us free will. He's given us choice. But I don't get to make up the rules. God has set the rules of the game, so to speak. God set the rules. And so what happens is, is when I, as a husband, do not love my wife, what happens is I get bitter. I get resentful. I get angry. And, and what happens with a wife is when she doesn't submit, the relationships come, it comes off the track. And it's out of order. It's out of order. There's no peace. There's stress. And there's no sense of leadership, of God's blessing and leadership in the home. It's very important. So God is telling both of us in our genders this is one of the hardest things for you to do, and that's why I'm explaining it, because it's hard to do. It's not easy. This is not something that is going to come naturally for either gender, and we're going to need the grace, the supernatural grace of God to love like God. It's not going to come naturally. It's going to come supernaturally. Does that make sense? Like, you can't do it unless... God helps you. That's why this is instruction on marriage, and 50% of marriages divorce, end in divorce. Now, if those 50% would look at this passage and just do what this passage says, what do you think? Maybe the percentage would be a little less staggering. Maybe we would do better in America when we get married. Marriage is not easy. Marriage can be hard. So husbands, love your wives. And the way I would illustrate it is, is like this. It's like this umbrella, if I can get this open. I need a woman to get this open for me, right? Honey, I need, you know, because if you, if you need something done, get a woman, right? So it's kind of like this, this uh, umbrella. What you have is, in God's world, God has covered us and given us authority, and so I find myself a man of authority under authority, under God, accountable to God. And I can step out of God's authority anytime I want to, but I don't get to choose what happens to me when I do that. Does that make sense? You can step out of God's authority. You can pick up one end of the stick, but whenever you pick up one end of the stick, the other stick comes up, the other part comes up too. You don't get to choose the consequences when you disobey God. It's out of your hands at that point. You pick up one end and you say, well, I'm not going to do it. And then what happens is the other end of bitterness goes with it. The other end of lack of peace and order goes with it. You can't choose what comes with disobeying God. But you can choose to obey God. That's where we have more control, and that's where God has given it to us, that responsibility. So we can choose. Yes, as a man, I will love my wife, and I will not be bitter. 
or no, God, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> it, it's, it could not be simpler to understand. But boy, I wish God had made it easier. Can I hear an amen? Some of you could stand up here this morning and give a testimony on this one, right? And why is it the same way? Yes, God, I will submit to my husband willingly, gratefully. Or no, God, I'm not going to do that. And so what happens is we come out from under the authority of God. God has given us his word to give us authority, to help us, to show us how to live life. And so what happens is, women, your husbands are what we call a covering for you. They are a protection for you in the home. They're not there to, to lord authority over you. That is not what a husband is supposed to do. And husbands, we get that mixed up. I have sat across from uh, crying wives who said, you know, my husband uses this verse on me, and it always happens to be whenever he disagrees or I have to have an opinion. He just brings out the Bible, and he just kind of thumps me with it and says, submit, submit. That's not what I'm talking about. And it's tough. It's very tempting for, for men who know the Bible and the Word of God to bring this out, to cart this out when we feel like it and say, hey, now remember, honey, <laughs> remember what your role is. It's very, it's very difficult for, for guys sometimes not to do that. So we have to be checked in our spirit with that. And that's why God says, husbands, don't lord it over your wives. Love your wives. Love your wife. Be Romeo. Be Romeo to her Juliet. And here's what happens, is when the wife submits to the husband, what she's saying is, she's not just saying, I give myself to you, and I'm submitting to you. What a wife is really submitting to, who a wife is really submitting to is to God. Because God is the one that set it up. God is the one who made marriage, and God is the one who defines marriage. And so what happens is there's a sense of peace that comes in a woman's life when she can step under the authority and the covering of her husband. It's a place of blessing. It's a place of encouragement. Now, if there's no authority in the home, if there's no leadership in the home, it's up for grabs. Nobody knows who's in charge. Nobody knows who's leading. Nobody knows where this family's headed. And it just scatters. It loses its steam. And it comes unglued. But there is authority in the home. And, and we know this because of the next verse. The children's responsibility is to what? Obey. The focus in this passage is on obedience. Hey, remember I asked you about how open-minded are you this morning? To hearing from God. From God. Even if you don't feel like it. Because there are two kinds of people in this world. Those who do what is right and then feel good about that. Or those who don't do what is right because they never feel like it. 
Are you, which kind of person are you? Are you the kind of person who won't do anything until you feel like it? You know, some people, they just wait for a feeling to hit them. And that's what they do. They let their feelings run their life. Other people say, no, I have this principle in front of me. I have this truth. I have this guide, and I'm going to follow it, and then I'm going to let my feelings catch up. The feelings will come. Eventually, I'm going to feel good about doing the right thing, but I'm going to do the right thing first, whether I feel like it or not. That's a life of blessing. That's how blessing works in our life. When you do what is right, and you let the feelings catch up later. And it's okay to let those feelings catch up. You've got to step into that role and step up to your responsibilities. And as you start doing and fulfilling your responsibilities and, and the, the role that God's given you, the father's, notice the next verse, the father's responsibility is not to provoke. Boy, I messed up on this one yesterday. Man alive. I, you know, you would think, like, after how many sermons I've preached in my life, I just turned 46, and I've been, I preached my first sermon when I was around 17. I've been preaching for a long time. I've read a lot. I mean, I've read the whole Bible. I've read a lot in the Bible. You would think I would sort of have it down, but I don't. And yesterday I messed up, and I had to go to one of my kids, and I had to say, I'm sorry. Forgive me. It was bad timing on my part, and I was too harsh. Um, do you ever do that? Do you ever have to do that? That's hard, but it's necessary. And then the third part is, and, and what makes it doable is this last step, which is step out in faith, trusting God's reasons. Um, God does not command us to do these things and then not tell us why. Some of you, and I, this has been my experience, that I don't really usually embrace doing something as a habit or a routine until I know why I'm supposed to do it. Don't just tell me what to do. Tell me why you think I ought to do it. Well, God tells us what to do, and he tells us why. He tells us why. He says, here's why. So faith means accepting God's reasons and accepting that as truth. They may differ from my reasons. And I may think differently than God. As a matter of fact, God and I disagree frequently. (laughs) And if you don't ever disagree with God, you're probably not really following God. Because when you are faced with God, you encounter someone who is different from you, who's holy and righteous and altogether good. And my brokenness slams up against his holiness. And I have to come to him and say, I'm the one in the wrong. I'm the sinner, God. Save me. Oh, God, give me mercy. I need your help. You are good in all that you do. You are upright in all that you do, God. You're right about me when you say that sometimes I I lose my temper. You're right. 
You're right about me when you say that sometimes I'm just, I, I don't, I'm not on my best behavior. You're right. God's reason for commanding wives to submit to their husbands is that it is fitting. Okay, ladies, that's the reason. He says, why should you as a wife submit, bring yourself under the loving cover and protection of your husband? Why should, in other words, you let him lead? Because it is fitting. Now, what does that mean? That word fitting in the original language means to reach up to. He says to reach up to, to arrive at, to a certain standard. He said it's very becoming. It's fitting. It suits you, ladies. Makes you look good in God's eyes. Makes you feel good in your heart. Makes you do good. It is the standard of good in a family for a wife to come up to that standard and say, I will submit to my husband. It is fitting. That's what it says. Fitting. It's that word. That's the why. It is fitting. Now, in verse 18, it says, Why submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord? Notice the word own. That word own means that which belongs to you, ladies. There is a sense, ladies, in which a husband belongs to you. His body, his mind, his soul, it belongs to you. And you as a wife, you belong to him. You belong to one another. And I don't mean that she owns him or that he owns her. I mean they have, by mutual consent, bound themselves together. Forsaking all others. Taking you. I choose and I love you. That, that's what they've done. They've bound themselves. And they've, they've said, I'm going to belong to you. And you're going to belong to me. And we're only going to belong to each other. And so it's right when a wife has for a husband a man who cherishes her above all others and has committed himself only to her. It's right for her to submit to his protection to what he's able to provide. I mean, why, why wouldn't a wife bring herself under the love and protection of a good man when that man only has her best interest at heart? Why wouldn't you do that? It's right for the wives to do this. Because it's fitting. God's reasons for commanding husbands to love helps them avoid bitterness. It, it's because we get angry and we get bitter and we have a hard time forgiving, guys. We don't let things go as easily sometimes. We hold on to them. We let it seethe inside of us. We let it grow hot until eventually we just explode and lose our temper or stomp out or, you know, all the kind of stuff we do sometimes, guys. Um, that word bitterness means a bad t taste in the stomach or irritation. Um, God's reason for commanding husbands to love helps them avoid bitterness. It helps us to be less irritable. Less irritable. I kind of joke with my family. I say my best ability is irritability. It's really not, but they get it. 
And I, I call it irritable Brad syndrome. <laughs> I have to work on that, you know? That word bitterness means that, un- that discomfort in your stomach, that bad taste in your mouth. Guys, the Bible is saying that you need to love so that you won't have that bad taste in your mouth. Some guys look at their wife like they're a pebble in their shoe. What does a pebble feel like when it's in your shoe? You ever had that? Oh my goodness, it's so irritating. All I want to do is get it out. That's how some guys look at their wives. Oh my goodness. I just want to get away. (laughs) That's how some guys feel. God's reason for commanding children to obey, obey is that it pleases God. God says, children, obey. Why? Because it makes me happy. Let me ask you guys something. Yes, you deserve to be happy, but how about God? Does God deserve to be happy? You ever heard somebody say, well, I'm doing this because it makes me happy. Well, good for you. What about God? Does God get what he deserves? God deserves happiness too. God is perfect in all his ways, unlike me, unlike us. God truly has never done anything wrong. He may have been blamed a lot, accused a few times, but he's never sinned. I can't say that. You cannot say that. God's reason for commanding fathers not to provoke is that it prevents discouragement. Fathers, be careful. We can very easily discourage our children by the words we say and the actions that we choose. This is why God says, this is the wisdom of Scripture. This is the wisdom of God. The Bible says that by wisdom... The earth was created. By his understanding did all things come to be as they are. And so it's the same with family. By wisdom, we will build a strong family. Through wisdom and understanding, you will build a family that lasts, that loves, and that is happy. Through wisdom. This is God's wisdom. Everyone knows their role, and they step into it. Everyone begins to understand what God expects of them, what their partner needs from them, what their children need from them. And they do it. And ultimately, we're all trusting the Lord to be the glue that holds us as a family together. Because in the end, we have our family and we have our faith. Those bind us. Those guide us. It, it keeps us through the hard times. Now, I, I just want to encourage you to wrestle with this passage a little bit and what this means in your life. If you're a, a woman here today and you're married, I hope you will go home and think about this. And the next time that you get into a fight with your husband and there's a disagreement, I hope that you will think about this verse and just ask yourself this question, Lord, What does it mean for me in this situation to submit? What does it mean? And the Holy Spirit will lead you. The Holy Spirit will lead you. That's a Holy Spirit kind of direction that we we have to have. And husbands, if you're a man here and you're married, I hope next time you go home and you have a disagreement that you will ask yourself in your heart and mind, okay, Lord, what would love do in this situation? What does it mean for me 
to love my wife and not get bitter. The next time you get into a fight with your, with your wife, I hope you'll ask yourself this question. Wrestle with the scripture. If you're a child, if you have parents, your parents are still with you, even their memory, to honor them. The next time you get into a disagreement with your parents, I hope you'll ask yourself, Lord, what does it still mean for me? Even as an adult, I have to ask myself this question. What does it mean for me to honor my mother and father? I'm 46 years old. I don't live with them anymore. But I live with God's principles, and so I still must honor. And fathers, I hope the next time you have a parenting moment that you will ask yourself the question, how can I encourage, not discourage? the next time you're in that situation. Because the truth is, these are three steps. It's a three-step program, right? So what's your next step? What's your next step? Your next step is gonna be to take these three steps the next time you're in that situation. Ask the Lord to give you that, to speak to you. Ask the Lord to open your heart and mind about that. I want to thank you for listening this morning. I, I really do, because this is not an easy passage to preach in, the, in this century. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, man, it, it's like, like they would never publish an op-ed in the New York Times if I re- wrote something like this and celebrate this view of family. They would not. But that doesn't change the truth. And that doesn't change God's word. And... This is still the best manual and the best guide for how to live a life that's second to none. And so I want to encourage you to wrestle with it. Let it disturb you. Let it bother you. Let it cause you to think, ponder, and pray. And get on your knees and say, Lord, help me to do what you've told me to do. Because without you, I can't. And God understands. He knows that. He knows it. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for so clear. Your word is so clear, Lord.